Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. Today we pick back up in our study through the Gospel of Mark called The Way of Jesus. We trust that you will receive just what you need from the Lord today. Thank you for joining us. Hey, in preparation for the message this week, I asked some of our staff to share some stories with me of some of the funny things that their kids have said, because kids can just be so honest and profound. And so I just want to share a few of these. I couldn't share all of them, but here was one where one of the boys scraped his knee up pretty bad at a playground, and they had to take him home in order to clean it up and wipe it all down and disinfect it. And in the car ride home, he's crying, and out of his tears, he shouts, I hate owies and the devil. (laughs) Profound, right? Another mom shared that one of her sons came and said, my leg hurts. And she asked, well, which leg? My elbow. (laughs) All right. Another mom shared with me that one of her sons came to her crying and the other one rushed up to her and said, I accidentally hit my brother twice. (laughs) (laughs) And a couple from my own kids, once when our daughter was looking at some of our wedding pictures, she said, dad has his hair up. (laughs) Ouch. And then this, this one just strikes me. I was talking to our son, Will, when he was young about inviting Jesus into his life, inviting Jesus into his heart. And he said to me, I, don't, I won't ever do that. And I'm like, oh, no, like, what is going on here? Can you tell me why? Uh, what's going on? And he said, I don't want him to cut me open and go in my stomach. <laughs> so I tried to explain it a little bit more, like, that's not really what it means. And he said, listen, I like Jesus, but I'm not going to let him cut me. So... <laughs> There you go. And I'm, I'm sharing some of those because this morning, as we continue our series in the Gospel of Mark together, Jesus is going to use children to teach us a profound lesson about what discipleship really looks like. Though this passage is only three verses long today, it's packed with some wonderful lessons that kids can teach us about how to receive the kingdom of God in our lives. Now, if you haven't been with us, welcome. We're glad you're here. We're in a series called The Way of Jesus. And if you're following on your notes together with me this morning, you probably have this memorized by now. But in this series, we're spending time with Jesus, learning to live the way of Jesus. This is what our church is all about. We want to learn to live the way of Jesus. In other words, we're studying him so that as his disciples, we can follow in his footsteps and live out his way in our own lives. So we continue to do that by looking at Mark's gospel. And if you haven't already, I'd like to encourage you to take your Bible, if you brought it with you or your device, and turn it with me to Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some available in the seats underneath you there. It'll also be up on the screen. But if you don't own a Bible, grab that one from under the seat. Take that home with you as our gift. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word. And you can find this story on page 822 of those black Bibles. Now, just a little bit of context. We are in this little section in Mark's Gospel right now where he's trying really hard to teach the disciples the difference between the way of the world and the way of his kingdom. And he's explaining to them, it's this upside down idea we've been talking about, right? That the true path to joy and happiness and fulfillment is actually by taking the lower position. 
by becoming a servant, by setting aside power, by laying down your life for the sake of another. This flies in direct conflict with the way of the world, which tells us the way to happiness and joy and fulfillment is by powering up over others. It's by grasping after things in this world. It's by climbing up the ladder of success, no matter how many people you have to step on to get there. He's trying really hard to teach this, but as we're seeing, they still don't seem to get it. But here's another opportunity for Jesus to teach the disciples and us. And once again, he uses the example of children. So let's look together at this small but mighty passage. Verse 13, Mark chapter 10 says, people were bringing little children. Now to be clear here, the Greek word is babies. So they're bringing really little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. Hmm. Now, I talked about this last week, but in the first century, Jewish households were patriarchal. Men were at the top in Jewish society and Roman society at this time as well, then women, and then at the very bottom, friends, were the children. And so perhaps this is one of the reasons the disciples are turning these kids away. They're the least important people in society. They still have this perspective of the world, right? Jesus, you should be spending time with the important people of the world. And important people are the ones who have power and prestige and position and status and wealth and influence. Not much has changed today. These are still who we consider the important people. I also wonder, we're not going to get this till May, but the very next passage in Mark, you can look at it, is Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. Some of you are familiar with that story, but here's what I picture. I picture that this guy is kind of waiting to talk to Jesus. The disciples see him, and they're like, kids, get out of the way. We got a really important guy here that Jesus needs to talk to. But as we've seen again and again in Jesus' life and ministry, his kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. His way is not the way of the world. Jesus always, always, always has time and welcomes the least of these. Perhaps this is why they're the ones who flock to him most, because they recognize and realize that he values them. So far from being second-class citizens, in Jesus' perspective, children, are masterpieces created by God, who God highly values and welcomes. And I don't know about you, but I always like to imagine these scenes. Can you just imagine these kids coming to Jesus? How many of you have ever watched The Chosen? It's that show about the life and ministry of Jesus. They do a whole episode on this, and I'm not going to lie, I got a little teary-eyed. Just this picture of Jesus welcoming these kids into his presence. It just gives us such a clear picture of his heart. Now, we know at this point, he's exhausted. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he knows what's waiting for him there. But as we see here, he takes time to be with these little children. Because if you're following on your notes, Jesus values all people, including these children. This is his way. We want to live the way of Jesus. His way is valuing all. All people, including the least of the society. And again, the reason for that, if you're still following, Jesus values all people because all people are created in the image of God. We need to be reminded of this often, don't we? Especially in today's polarized world. All people, 
Red, yellow, black, and white. Some of you sang that song in preschool, right? All ages, all social statuses, every human who has ever lived has been born, made in the image of God. And Jesus' way, which is to be our way, church, is to see all people through that perspective. Every human being having value before God because they've been created by God in his image. This, I think, is what it means when we use that phrase, they will know we are Christians by our love. When we start to see people and treat people with value simply because they're created by God in his image. Now, why are the parents bringing these babies to Jesus? These babies to Jesus. Well, we know that in this time, parents would often bring babies and children to rabbis in order to have them blessed by these rabbis. This started with Jacob when he blesses his twelve sons, and it continued as a tradition throughout these times. And apparently, these parents are like, "Hey, we want you, Jesus, Rabbi, to bless our kids." And I'm just going to pause here. Any parents in the room? This is a great picture for us today as parents, that our primary role as parents is simply to bring our children to Jesus. Our greatest desire as parents should be the same thing that John wrote in 3 John 1 verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And what this means, parents, is that Jesus becomes the center of your family. Church is a priority, modeling the way of Jesus in your house. You got to spend time with Jesus so they can see you doing that. Spend time with them with Jesus so they can see you doing that. There's nothing more important than bringing your children to Jesus. Now, here's the sad thing. That's all we can do. We can do our part, but it's up to our children then to receive Jesus in that way. Now, here's something cool, just a little pause here. Right after Easter, Easter's next Sunday, the following week, Brian is gonna do this four-week series, Brian and Jeff, about parenting. It's a great opportunity for you to invite some friends maybe who are struggling through that. I don't know if you know this, Brian actually wrote a book about parenting and he's kind of just gonna teach through that book together with us. But it's all about how do we bring our children to Jesus? Sadly, these disciples are like, no, get behind us. There's someone more important waiting to see you. But Jesus steps in and he teaches this incredible lesson on discipleship starting in verse 14. In fact, would you read it out loud with me there? It says, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Using the very children he's blessing, Jesus teaches us and his disciples something important about the kingdom. Now, it's important to notice, he doesn't say these babies right here that I'm talking about. He says, such as these, people such as these who are like these little ones are ready to receive the kingdom. And so the question I have for you is, what is it about these children that makes them ready and open to receive the kingdom? What is distinctive about a newborn baby? What is their posture right out of the womb? What What are you guys thinking here? I got one word for you, dependent, totally dependent. If you're following, children enter this world utterly dependent for life. Jesus has in mind here the state, every child who has ever lived, including you, were helpless and dependent on your parents for survival. 
And unlike any other creature, isn't it interesting? Most other animals, they're just ready after a few days, a few weeks. But as human beings, we are dependent for years on other people in order for us to be able to survive. Every person born in the world is born absolutely, completely, totally dependent. So here's the object lesson. Let's not miss it. So it is with every person who wants to be born in the kingdom of God. If you're following, children of God's kingdom are also totally dependent for life. As one commentator says, I love this, he writes, what this means is that if Billy Graham enters the kingdom, it will not be because he has personally preached to more people than any man in history. It will not be because he has remained impeccable in his finances when so many have failed. It will not be because he has, a, has been a faithful husband. It will not be because, despite his fame, he has remained a humble, self-effacing, kind man. When Billy Graham enters the kingdom, it will be because he came to Christ as a dependent child. For that is how everyone must come to Christ. In Matthew's version of this story, Jesus makes a little additional comment that Matthew records that I think helps us grasp this a little better. In Matthew 18, 3 and 4, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes, and this is it, the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What is the lowly position? It's like a baby. Outside of myself, I have nothing that can save me. I am totally and utterly dependent on something from the outside to help me in my helplessness. When Kirsten was really young, our daughter, she was two, her favorite thing when she was feeling kind of lonely, she would come up to us and say, hold you, hold you. That's a picture of dependence. And that's the posture that anybody who wants to enter into the kingdom of heaven must have. Opening our arms, saying, unless you're going to hold me, unless you're going to welcome me into your arms, I am utterly and hopelessly lost. This is true for every human being who has ever lived. We cannot work our way into the kingdom, right? We cannot do enough good things to get into the kingdom. We are born into this state that the Bible says is sin. And we are helpless without somebody coming to save us from that sin. It's all throughout scripture. David wrote about it in Psalm 14, two through three. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Isaiah wrote about this. All of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away helpless. The most famous maybe, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The moment we're born, we are born into sin because we are children of Adam. We're helpless. And so what do we do? Well, just like our daughter with her hands up, if you're falling on your notes, we must admit we're dependent on God for our salvation. You want to enter the kingdom of God? It cannot happen without that. In John chapter 3, verse 3, he, Jesus is speaking to a very religious man by the name of Nicodemus. 
And Nicodemus is like, well, what do I have to do to enter into the kingdom? He's genuinely questioning Jesus because Jesus is throwing this whole thing upside down for him. And look at what Jesus says to him. If you're following on your notes, let's read it together. He says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. What is he saying? It's the same thing that he's saying in our passage this morning. Listen, Nicodemus. You are truly searching and seeking out real life in my kingdom. Here's what it's going to mean. You got to be born again. Now, obviously, Nicodemus, if you've read the passage, is like, what are you talking about? How can I get back into my mother's womb? That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, once again, you will have to take the posture of dependence and say, no matter how many good things I've done, you've done, Nicodemus. You are helpless apart from reaching out to me as your only hope, as your only life, as your only chance. Now, this goes so against my flesh and what the world teaches us from the moment we're born. We're told, especially in the West, right, that independence is to be our goal. We're to become self-made. We're to prove ourselves. I got to make a name for myself. Jesus says, I'm sorry to tell you this. But if you want access into life with me, it's going to be the opposite. You're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to recognize that apart from me, you can do nothing. Like a newborn baby reaching out his arms for their parents, you're going to have to take the posture of a child and come to me and say, I am dependent on you for life. Jesus very clearly lays out here, the condition for entering the kingdom of God. That should make your ears perk up. Like, what's the thing you gotta do to know Jesus? What's the thing you gotta do to have eternal life? What's the thing you got to do to live out your life in fellowship with God? Very simple. Apart from you, I have nothing. Hold you. He says that in Leeds, Unless each of us enter the kingdom of God as a child, we will not enter it at all. And to do that, I will say to you, you need to set aside your pride. You need to set aside your independence. And you just need to get to this point in your life where you admit there's nothing outside, there's nothing inside of myself that can bring me to life with God. I am completely dependent on him for that. Think about this. No child has ever argued that it was their effort and their work that caused them to be born, right? Moms, right? They did nothing. You did everything for them. And in the same way, no child of God will ever boastfully say, it's because of what I did that I became a child of God. Paul wrote it this way in Ephesians 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. In verses 15 and 16, Jesus goes on to explain what this posture of dependence is actually going to look like in our daily lives if we choose to take him up on that offer. Let's read those verses out loud together on our notes. It says, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Now, we may not see it, but this is actually a different thing than what we just read in verse 14. To enter the kingdom, you got to understand that you are like a dependent child. That's our condition before God. 
But once you recognize that, there are some postures that we take like children in order to grow in that relationship with God. This is the question then, right? Okay, I've said I'm dependent upon you, Lord. You've saved me. Now what? How do I grow? How do I mature as one of your children in the faith? And I'm like, wow, what can children teach us about that? I mean, the possibilities are truly endless, how we can grow like children in our lives. But I narrowed it down to four things that I think children can teach us about how to grow up in the kingdom of God. First, children can teach us that we must receive the kingdom with absolute trust every day. For children, their whole life is founded on trust, right? When you're a child, you don't wonder where your next meal is coming from. You don't wonder where the clothes are coming from. You're trusting your parents to provide that for them, even though you might not even be able to articulate that. Like, you're just built on this foundation of trust. This is why it's so heartbreaking, right? When trust is broken early in a child's life, ugh, it causes lasting damage. One of the things I used to do as a dad, I'm sure some of you dads have done this as well, and your wife didn't like it, was I would throw my kids up in the air, They would do the spread eagle. I would catch them when they came back down. They trusted that their dad would catch them. That's a picture of how we respond to the Lord. We admit our dependence, and then daily I learn to trust him because he is trustworthy. He will provide my daily bread. Everything that I need in order to live my life for his glory. Maybe not everything I want. It's like I don't give our kids anything they want, right? He'll give me what I need, though. He will provide for me. I learned to trust him, and this is hard, even in the darkest valleys. Believing that he has a purpose in those and through those for me. You know, one of the things that helps me do that is remembering his past faithfulness. He's never let me down before. He's not letting me down right now. This is really one of my favorite things about the Psalms, right? You have these really tough Psalms sometimes. But almost all of them have this turning point where they say, but I remembered when, and I remember when you, and I remembered these things. So we learn how to trust him because he has proven himself trustworthy. We learn to trust that his word really is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And that is really following his word through obedience is really the best life possible. I mean, I can go on and on and on here, right? We learn to trust him with our finances, our sexuality, our relationships. As we exercise that trust, though it can be difficult, what happens? You start to become more confident, not only in who God is, but here's the key, in your own identity as one of his children. Trust is the cornerstone of every healthy relationship, and so it is with Christ. I want to be clear here. Trust and belief are not the same thing. You know, I might believe there's an invisible bridge right here, but I'm not going to step out on it. Trust is when I actually am willing to step out on it. Are you trusting him with your full life? That's the first thing children teach us. The second thing I think children can teach us is the way we receive the kingdom is with humility. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because I talked about this three weeks ago, but let me just ask you, do babies have any pride? Oh, yeah. Let's try that again. Do babies have any pride? 
No, at least not until that dreaded age when they learn those two words, no and mine, right? (laughs) Then they have pride. But babies are naturally humble. They're not looking at others, comparing themselves to others, right? Have you ever seen a baby next to another baby in a stroller and one of the babies is like, man. That's like the Porsche of strollers right there. I, I, I want that one. No, right? They know they need others to survive and thrive. They're naturally humble. And so it is in our relationship with God. Humility is a daily acknowledgement that I need you to provide. It's looking at others, not with this perspective of I need to gain power over them. It's with the same perspective that Jesus looked at everybody. That person right there has been made in the image of God. And therefore, they have value. And I have no need to step up over them. I can welcome them into my life with hospitality. Sadly, this kind of humility in kids goes away pretty quickly, right? It's just part of human nature, pride, the root of all sin, as I called it. The more we mature, the more prideful we get. I came across this poem uh, that a pastor by the name of Dave Stone wrote. He called it The Trouble with Old Clay, and I think it gets to the heart of this. I wanted to share it with you. I took a piece of plastic clay and idly fashioned it one day. And as my fingers pressed it still, it moved and yielded to my will. I came again when the days were past, and the bit of clay was hard at last. The form I gave it, still it bore, but I could change that form no more. I took a piece of living clay and gently formed it day by day, and molded with my power and art a young child's soft and yielding heart. I came again when the days were gone. It was a man I looked upon. He still that early impress wore... But I could not change that form no more. Humility is the key attribute every Jesus follower must have because we will never be formed fully on this side of heaven. We must continually allow the maker to form us into the shape that he is looking to form us in, more and more into the image of Jesus. Third thing children can teach us, in my opinion, is that children can teach us how to receive the kingdom with a sense of wonder. Another word for that might be awe or reverence. Have you ever seen the world through a child's eyes? It's different. They see things that we just don't see because they still possess this sense of wonder that we sometimes lose. Some of you might remember, I'm aging myself here. You remember that old Lifesavers commercial when the dad and the daughter are up on the hill and they're watching the sunset? And the dad is going, 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 gone. And the daughter looks at him and says, do it again, daddy. (laughs) Sadly, as we grow older, we lose our sense of wonder and awe. The world looks a little more gray, even though this winter it has, right? We're all a little more tired. We become a little bit more jaded. But kids, man, they live in this world and there's still the sheen on it. They love to enjoy and explore. It reminds me of what this one mom wrote. I love this. Tell me if this isn't us, parents. When I look at a patch of dandelions, I see a bunch of weeds that are going to take over my yard. Kids see flowers for mom and blowing white fluff you can wish on. 
When I look at an old drunk and he smiles at me, I see a smelly, dirty person who probably wants my money, and I look away. Kids see someone smiling at them, and they smile back. When I hear music I love, I know I can't carry a tune, and I don't have much rhythm, so I sit self-consciously and listen. Kids feel the beat and move to it. They sing out the words, and if they don't know them, they make up their own. When I feel the wind on my face, I brace myself against it. I feel it messing up my hair and pulling me back when I walk. Kids close their eyes, spread their arms, and fly with it until they fall to the ground laughing. When I see a mud puddle, I step around it. I see muddy shoes and clothes and dirty carpets. Kids sit at it. They see dams to build, rivers to cross, and worms to play with. I wonder if we are given kids to teach us or to learn from. No wonder God loves the little children. Did you know that kids, it's estimated, ask 125 questions a day? As adults, you know what it is? You know what the average is? Six. Our daughter, when she was born, like, I'll just say this. I'm not a morning person, okay, at least before my cup of coffee. Our daughter was the most chatty child you can imagine, and I'd always be like, oh, my gosh. Just let me finish this cup of coffee, please, right? Questions, 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 questions. Why? They just have this innate sense of wonder and awe at the world around them. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. You know what one of my biggest fears is? That we lose our sense of wonder of the cross of Christ. Every week we take communion. It's so easy for it to just become this rote thing. But may we learn the lesson of children and never lose the wonder. Final thing children teach us about receiving the kingdom is they receive it with unashamed love. Some of my fondest memories of a dad are when I would come home from work or from a trip and you open up that door and it's like, dad, jumping into your arms, right? Whether I was ready for them or not, there was no shame in them expressing their love or their emotions or feelings for me. Sadly, these days, the only one who greets me at the door is one of our pugs. The other pug doesn't care either, right? It's just one of them, just one of them. Remember when you would give a gift a child at Christmas? This is the greatest thing ever. I can't believe it, right? They're expressive. They're unashamed of their love. Can the same be said of you? Over time, I've noticed in myself, I've become much more reserved in my expressions of love. This carries over into my relationship with Christ. You know, one of the sad things I see as a pastor for the last 20 years is there's this weird thing at a certain age, boys stop singing as much in church. Men, forget it. I mean, we can watch a sporting game and go crazy. But man, we come to worship the God who gave us new life, and it's like, nah. May we not be like that. May we learn from children who unashamedly express our love to the king now and forever, no matter how old or mature we get. I love David's example in 2 Samuel 6, 14. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. Man, isn't that crazy? David is known as a man's man. There he is making a fool out of himself, dancing and praising God, just like the video we saw from Ethiopia. Reminds us so much of our worship here, right? Are you unashamed in expressing your love for Jesus? Or are you more like David's wife, two verses later, where it says, As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. 
Friends, as I close here, I just want to say, this message is as simple as it can be. If you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you must declare your dependence on him. Have you done that yet? Today could be the day. You can set aside all your filthy rags, all these good works. You can be like Nicodemus and say, there's nothing that I can do apart from God's grace to receive the kingdom. And if you have done that, can I just encourage you, follower of Jesus, never lose your trust. Never lose your wonder. Never lose your awe. And never lose that humility, which is the basis of it all. So as we close, I'm going to ask you to make this personal today. Will I come to God like a child in total dependence and receive the kingdom with trust, humility, wonder, and love? I'm gonna pray right now and I'm gonna just bet if the spirit of God is present here in this room, maybe there's just something standing out to you right now. Maybe it's the first thing. You've just never placed your trust in Christ. Today might be that day, but I'm betting even if you follow Jesus for a long time in your life, you've lost maybe one of these things that children can teach us. So I just encourage you to use this as an opportunity to become a child again, to lift up your arms and say to him, hold you, hold me. Show me what it would look like to embrace you fully in my life. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much for the example of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. We thank you for this story. I, I love this story. I just love the idea that the king of the universe would humble himself, take on human flesh, and welcome the least of these with open arms. And Lord, if there is someone here this morning who has not recognized they are the least of these, that apart from you, there is no life. I pray that today they simply would lift up their arms to you, that they would acknowledge that they've been striving through works, through being good, that they could set that aside and trust and believe that your grace is reaching down for them today. For those of us who have done that, oh Lord, we just confess to you a hardness. We confess that we are less like children than we want to be. Maybe today we need to confess that we're just not trusting you in some area of our life. If that's you, feel free to do that. Maybe we need to confess, see a sense of pride in our relationships with our spouse, with our children, with our employers with people who vote different than us, with people who look different than us. We confess that. Maybe we just need to acknowledge we've lost our sense of wonder. And maybe we just need to confess a hardness of heart when it comes to worshiping you.
Lord, we remind ourselves again today, it is your kindness that leads us to repentance. Just like you opened your arms for these little children to come to you. Confession is not shunning, it's welcoming. It's cleansing. It's undoing any of the barriers that might be between us so that we could live life fully again in your presence. We thank you for the cross of Christ that we get to celebrate now as we take communion. May we never lose the wonder of what we're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.